Welcome to the Human Performance Outliers podcast with your hosts, Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. At Human Performance Outliers podcast, we dive into a wide range of topics revolving around health, nutrition, and physical fitness. If you enjoy the show and wish to support us, please visit patreon.com forward slash HPO podcast. If you do not use Patreon but still wish to support us, please also consider checking out our PayPal page at paypal.me forward slash HPOpod. The link to both of those can also be found in the show notes. Finally, please consider subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Now, on to the next topic. Chris, welcome. We're recording. Thanks for coming okay. on. You got an interesting story. I hope we get into this stuff. Um, Zach, you know, it's kind of funny. We've had, uh, Ed, you know, Ed Cohn on, we've had Stan Efferding, we've had Mark Bell on, we've had, we've had quite a few guys that are accomplished powerlifters. Um, you've got some pretty compelling, interesting stuff I was reading about. It's pretty impressed. And Zach is, whether you know or not, he just set the world record for 100 miles of running. So something you probably don't do. <laughs> Uh, nope, been a long time since my running days. Yeah, so he's, he's <laughs> Congratulations, the, though. He's on the other Thanks. end. Yeah, 11, what was it, 11 hours, 19 minutes for 100 miles? Some, some yeah. Like uh-huh. six, six minutes and 46 second miles for 100 miles. Ridiculous. Damn. Anyway, yeah, that is ridiculous. That is ridiculous. Well, we'll, we'll talk about some of the stuff you're doing, which is equally uh, impressive. I'm kind of in the middle, man. I'm kind of like a guy that's, you know, 500 meter rowing and stuff like that. And I had my days of lifting and stuff like that, but... Interesting story. Um, you know, Chris, tell us a little bit, just tell, where are you at right now? Where are you, where are you currently broadcasting from? Uh, I'm at uh, Kabuki Strength here in Portland, Oregon, uh, oh. sitting in our, uh, our podcast and recording studio. Okay, so you're on, you're on the same time zone as Zach and I. So, Zach, are you guys still on Pacific time right now? I can never remember with Arizona, man. They always screw around. Yeah, we are. We are until the time of year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like mountain I, better, but we'll handle specific while it lasts. Good, good. I, I remember flying out of uh, uh, Phoenix one uh, one time on daylight savings, and oh. we couldn't figure out what time our flight was, and we're asking, calling the uh, airline, and they're like, basically didn't know either. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I guess we'll just be there a little early in case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is yeah. weird when everyone else changes the clocks and then you don't. I think, well, maybe that's, I guess there's some people that are arguing that we don't need daylight savings anymore. No one's, oh, it's, it, it's no, ridiculous. There's no, there's no point to it whatsoever anymore. No so. one's doing the, well, maybe, no. maybe for better or worse, no one's farming anymore. So we don't have that. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to put this guy down. Hopefully he won't. He won't yeah. But uh, so Chris, tell us a little bit. Um, I know you've, you've written a book. You've got a new book that's out that we'll talk about. You've got a compelling, interesting background. I mean, I, you know, as somebody, and I was, I don't know if you know, not, I mean, I used to be a, you know, reasonably decent power lifter. I was a decent deadlifter, not, not to the level you were, but I was, you know, USAPL guy, I got up, you know, my best was like a 772 pole, which is, you know, not that, that's, that's pedestrian these days, but it's not bad, not bad for back to back, you know, back then. And, you know, that was, a, that was, a, I think I had some records in different federations and stuff like that, but I've kind of transitioned into more. I, and one of the things I, you know, I, I don't do a lot of max lifts anymore. And I've seen you've kind of got some impressive rep maxes going on, which I think is, which is compelling. I mean, I sit there and pull 400, 500 for reps all the time. And, and I, I like that. I know that Stan Efferding has kind of transitioned to the more high rep scheme, you know, and less of the, less of the heavier singles as we get older. As you get, 
you know, I'm 52, soon to be 53, and I find that I, I just like doing 20 reps and, you know, that, that type of stuff with a decent amount of weight in my hand. But tell us a little bit about your, your growing up and your background, and we, I guess we can kind of weave in it out because I know your book goes into some of this. And uh, let's just start there. Uh, sure. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, long story short, I, I basically grew up, you know, homeless, uh, you know, living in the woods, foraging for food, you know, heating up water, um, you know, in the sunlight stuff so you could take a shower and just, uh, you know, just, it was an interesting, uh, it was an interesting life to say the least uh, growing up and a mixture of, you know, moving into town during the school year and stuff or closer, you know, sometimes we live in, you know, condemned homes, trailers, tents, whatever. And uh, got taken by the state for, for a period of time as well. And ended up, uh, I, I performed pretty well as an a-, a student and an athlete. Uh, so I, I did graduate high school as valedictorian and, and uh, a state level athlete. Um, and and uh, <clears throat> put myself through school. Uh, ended up taking custody of my three younger siblings um, before finishing uh, my engineering degrees. Just things got worse at home while I, while I was away. You could imagine there was, uh, you know, a lot of drug and alcohol abuse and, and just, just not a good environment. Um, and so I took responsibility for, for raising them through their teenage years while I finished my, uh, my engineering and then, uh, started, well, I was working the whole time. I never, uh, never, when you uh, don't really have any sort of, you know, fallback plan, there's no, you know, bedroom at home, there's nothing, there's nothing, nobody to lean on, nothing to, uh, you know, nothing to, to really have some stability or any sort of fallback. So it's always right there. So, so I worked entirely, you know, while I went through, went through college, actually started my own business while I was still in college, Uh, started working in the management in the uh, industrial sector while I was in, in school as well, which kind of, propelled my, my, my career fairly early on, kind of developing some of those leadership skills further. And, <clears throat> but uh, continued to work and get my MBA and advance in my career, which I did pretty well at. So um, my uh, the youngest of my sisters uh, finally moved out around the time I was really kind of taking off on, my, on the career front. So I got to be known for really bringing profound change into businesses. So I would, you know, get hired to come in and either, you know, fix maybe a division of a company or, you know, the entire company. It, one time I, I took an aerospace company, completely turned it around, prepped it for sale, got it sold, uh, worked in the automotive sector, uh, industrial machining or uh, industrial equipment and uh, high tech arenas and did that. And while the, course of that I, I owned the gym I've been an athlete you know training I started started lifting around 1988 uh, when I was in uh, middle school and took a you know took a little bit of a break during college for a couple of years but outside of that it's been lifting's been a pretty central part of my life and nothing was ever you know right for me in in the gym so I ended up, you know, after a while building my own home gym, inviting people over and just kind of, it continued to grow until about 10 years ago, I opened my first uh, commercial location. So I've been, 
coaching people at my house for like 10 years prior to that or close to, you know, we had about, you know, 20 lifters that would come over every evening. And my, my wife at the time was like, yeah, this is not working out anymore. So at least a 4,000 square, square foot space and open, open the first commercial facility. And being the perfectionist, like I just kept building my own equipment, doing things just the way that I wanted them to. And ended up developing a, a pretty unique network of mentors and friends as well over the course of uh, that. Because I, I started, I'm, I'm always seeking to, to learn more, know more. And I started kind of educating, taking a lot of extracurricular uh, education that was a little more towards the clinical side of things. But I ended up developing a really great network that includes, well, it's a, a lot of them are now on our, our, our advisory board for Kabuki Strength. Um, which includes, you know, like Dr. Stuart McGill, Dr. Kelly Starrett, Dr. Craig Liebenson. Uh, we've got uh, uh, um, Sue Falcone, you know, the, the first woman head strength coach in any major league sport in, the, uh, in, in America. Uh, you know, there's a couple head strength coaches for some major league baseball teams, pretty well-known ones, by, by the way, uh, out there. But, you know, that's just kind of the network that started developing and that's where a lot of uh, refinement of my philosophy and approach to both movement principles and loading really, really came from. And uh, we now, you know, teach and lecture as a company. So a lot of people kind of uh, think of Kabuki strength. So I, I, I retired from lifting uh, competitively and my other career uh, around 2015, I believe. Uh, and founded, really took, uh, that's, I mean, I had the gym going. We had a 9,000 square foot facility by that time. And, uh, but just kind of walked away from both of those so I could focus on Kabuki strength and really kind of fill in the gaps of what I see as big misses in the industry. And uh, a lot of people really think of Kabuki strength as a, you know, as an equipment company, but uh, we're, we're a principle-based education company first. And so we lecture, you know, physical therapy colleges, chiropractic colleges, uh, train the staff of major league sporting teams, uh, and travel all around uh, the United States uh, lecturing. Um, usually not myself anymore. It's just our lecture staff does that. Um, and, you know, private, uh, you know, colleges, things like that as well. So it's, uh, it's been, uh, I'd say my life's been a pretty interesting ride. I've, oh yeah, I lifted a lot of weights and stuff in there too. So... <laughs> yeah. So anywhere we can dive anywhere deeper on there that you want to. Hey, Chris, let me just ask you. I'm I'm just curious about the name Kabuki because I I associate Kabuki with Japanese theater, and so I mean, where where did that particular name come from? How did you guys decide on that? Or does it have another meaning that I'm not aware of? No, it came from Japanese theater. So <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, it's it's, it's it's elaborate costumes and you know that sort of thing, and I'm just kind of trying to figure out how that fits in, but it's interesting. Well, uh, you know, the Kabuki, the Kabuki mask, and you can see, you know, our rendition of that, uh, we call it the squat face. Um, it's on the, you know, in caps of every one of our bars. It's on our, um, and our logo is get your squat face on. So at the end of the day, there's three drivers that are going to be success for you. Uh, those drivers are going to be, you know, having the right methodology, the right approach. Okay. You've got to have that fundamentally. You've got to have the right equipment. 
the right tools to be able to pull things off, that, to employ that methodology. But the last thing, I can help you with those first two things, and that's what we do at Kabuki Strength. Methodology and equipment, best in the world to, to be able to help you towards living better in strength. But that last one is just getting your game day face on. It's tr transforming into another version of yourself. You know, when you walk out there in the gym, when you walk out on the sporting field, it's game day, you know. The re it's time that you've got to turn that switch mentally to get yourself into another state to, to perform at the level like, well, Zach, you know, running his uh, hundred miles. And what was that time again? Like you've got to be, you've got to, you've got to turn that mental switch. And so um, we have a Kabuki squat face. Um, but really that's, that's, those are the three, the three things that you have to have in place. And uh, we'll give you the first two and I can write things to help you on that road. I just, you know, that's a big part of the book. Um, there's a lot of tools and stuff in there, but it's around, you know, motivation and inspiration as well. Um, but at the end of the day, it all comes down to you being able to do that. Hey, Chris, I'm, uh, I'm really interested in kind of your, your, your progression for obvious reasons, but like when you talk about that third piece to the puzzle, so to speak, is a lot of that somewhat from your upbringing where, I mean, you had to have a game face on just to, get basic needs given your upbringing is that does that have any connection to kind of how you came up with that for your training philosophy too um it, more more than likely yes so uh, but there's there's some context there uh, because you don't have to have that crazy upbringing you know living a life dealing with murderers drug addicts drug runners serial killers like there's some fucked up shit I went through in my life. Now, you don't have to have that, right? What the book is there is to articulate just how far you can move the dial if you put those, you know, put some of those principles in place. So there's a lot more to, to me, to, you know, to, to the mentality. Um, but the, just walking into the gym, the, you know, that piece of it, it's a, that's a small excerpt, uh, uh, you know, of, of that, but, <clears throat> you know, it, 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 it comes down to being able to understand that you're not, you're not a person defined by the things that's happened to you. You know, what you're defined by is your response to things. And every day is an opportunity to push ourselves and challenge ourselves and see kind of what we're made of at any time, you know, there's a lot of things that could, that could go wrong, losing a job, getting it hit by a car, all these, you know, whatever it is, maybe getting a, a, you know, a disease or however it is, but that, that mental attitude of, you know, Hey, those are things that have happened, but me, I'm controlled. I, I, you know, the definition of who I am really is my response to those actions and trying to push and be a better version of yourself continually. And, uh, you know, if you have that philosophy in life, you can, you can really, you can really achieve a lot. So I don't really differentiate training methodology from life methodology, from business methodology, from, uh, you know, 
uh, relationships, family, all this stuff is, it's, it's all, it's all the same. A lot of it is the same anyway. Yeah. I find the mental part, I mean, often the biggest part, I mean, you can be physically there and I'm sure you experience experienced it many times, you know, it, you physically prepared, if you're not switched on mentally, it's just not going to happen. And I've, I mean, probably more times than I've succeeded, I've failed based on just mentally not wanting to dig where I needed to go. And I know I could have done that. That happens, you know. And, and, you no, know, one know, and, and no one knows except for you right down deep in your heart whether you put every last ounce of effort, everything that you had on the table into it. You know, you could have, you could have laid on the ground sweating and panting afterwards and everybody's like, man, he gutted that out, did everything he could. But maybe you didn't. Maybe there was a little bit more. And, uh, you know, that's one of, you know, my catchphrases, and it's become a Kabuki strength catchphrase, is there's always more. Because that is a fact. No matter how hard you push yourself, you could have always pushed a little harder or maybe done it a little bit. And, and, and we don't mean harder like putting five more pounds on the bar, but maybe I could have done it a little better. I could have had more intensity into it. I could have – what was my preparation – what was like all these things, like there's so many avenues of like, there's always more. And, and, you know, if we take that a step further, if there's things in your life that you're not putting that into, are they, should they be there? Right. Uh, because I, I see this all the time, like in the gym, people read this article, read that article, watch some videos. And next thing you know, they're, you know, their, their five different exercises that they were doing for the gym has exploded to 12. And they go through an exercise, you know, ah, half at, I'm not getting my results. Oh, well, it doesn't matter. I'll just move on. I got another three exercises hitting the same area after that. Or same thing. I've got all this million mobility stuff I've got to do. So I'm stretching this, foam rolling that, doing all this stuff for 45, 60 minutes before I go out there. But the level of intensity, it just isn't there. And are you really getting anything? And I think people would just really pare things down if they truly understood, what do I need? Okay, what do I need to be doing? And pare out all the non-essential and do that with 100%, there's, with that mentality of, that intensity of, there's always more, right? Okay, knock those things out of the park. If you've got, you know, muscular issues, firing, whatever it is, like pick two or three and just freaking fix it. Okay. And then move on to the next. And if you're still sitting there foam rolling your IT bands three years later, what the hell are you doing? First off, you don't have an IT band problem, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but that's a whole nother subject. We get into human movement, but um, you know, that's, that's where I see is people want to do too many things. And if we, if we focus on that intensity and understanding I mean, you've got to know what you want, like from any aspect to be able to make that a success, right? Um, which gets into a, you know, whole piece around goal setting and, uh, you know, understanding, you know, your values in life and all that sort of stuff. But um, yeah. I think I yeah let me, I'll, I'll jump in and, and echo, uh, Chris, you know, that, that concept of, you know, not physically giving a hundred percent. And I, I, fully subscribe to that. I mean, I've, I've many times, even when I was breaking world records on the concept too, in the 500 meter row, when I, when I set the world record, I was like, I could have went faster. I know I could have. Yeah. And, and I just, you know, I just, for whatever reason, it was, 
one thing or two, you know, you know, you do it in stroke, you know, you're taking rowing strokes and you're like, I probably on three of those strokes, I probably could have pulled harder. I just didn't, I was kind of pacing myself and I didn't, you know, I didn't die at the end. And Zach and I've talked about that. If you didn't, if you're not dead at the end of whatever you did, then there's more there. And there has to be because the only thing that keeps you coming back is the knowledge that you could do a little better. And, and I tell people when they say they gave hundred percent, I said, no, you didn't. If you gave hundred percent, you'd be dead. So you give there, as much yeah, as you ever, there, there's, Yeah, because there, there is always more. There's yeah. always just a little more you can turn that dial. Yeah, that's, and that's a fun thing. because, Like, oh, you must have that breathing and bracing stuff dialed. You don't need to practice this stuff. And I'm like, um, yeah, I know I'm one of the original people that started putting that content out there around lifting, but I'm still trying to be better because there's always more. <laughs> Like I can always be, there's nobody, there's no mastery or perfection. There's a, what you want to, you want to think about things is chasing a North star, right? North star is like where I want to be like this ultimate goal of perfection. You should have a vision of what that is. But the thing about, and every day you can take a little, you can take a step, you can walk a mile, you could run a hundred miles closer to it, but you're, you'll never actually ever get to the North star. It's always there. It's, it's your definition of where you're going and we want to be putting and moving there. But just because we're trying to chase that perfection and trying to chase achieving that thing, does it mean we'll ever get there, ever achieve perfection or a hundred percent effort? No. Well, I think it's, you that's know, okay. <laughs> I think if, if we define perfection as, as some objective goal and, you know, Zach, you know, like, and we can talk about some of the stuff you've done, some of the crazy deadlifting stuff, which is incredibly impressive, but, you know, like Zach just broke the world record for a hundred miles and it's 11 minutes, 19, 11 hours, 19 minutes. And he's like, that might've been considered someone's perfection, but now he's like, nah, I could, I could go fast. He's already said he's, he could go faster. And so it's kind of like, you know, <laughs> I just want to go under 11 hours. A thousand deadlift double. I mean, you know, recently I saw some video on that where you, you pulled a thousand for a double and you're probably like, yeah, I probably could have, I probably could have pulled maybe a triple. Or I could have done a thousand and twenty. You know, I wish I'd locked. I wish I could have locked out that third rep, man. I was right there. <laughs> it is, it is interesting too, because I think like, if you do get to a place where you no longer think there's another ounce left, that is probably when you should change directions. Like that's yeah. when you need to find something new to do. And I think but that's that, excite you. If it right, excite you anymore, mm -hmm. and. You know, that's, uh, you know, I competed for a long time. Sean used to compete. I, I, I was on the platform for 16 years. Uh, I was lifting for about 25 years at the time. And th there was just a point of like, I was just doing it because I, I felt that I needed to, um, to, to prove something or whatever it was. That's what I did. And I, and I, but I wasn't getting you know, turned on by the thought of another meet of another perform, like it just wasn't there for me anymore. And I was more excited about these other things, you know, that had been popping into my head that I wanted to try to chase. And I was like, it's time to move that direction. How do I make this happen? How do I, how do I, you know, move, move that direction. And so I redefine, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm an exhibition lifter. That's what I do now. Uh, you know, I competed for 16 years. I was ranked number one in the world for like eight years straight. Uh, and I'm going to go this direction. And so started doing exhibitions and, uh, combining that with fundraisers for causes that I believed in and absolutely love it, you know, and I'm only people like, well, what about this? You can go accomplish that. I'm like, well, 
it doesn't interest me. <laughs> like I've been lifting for 30 years now. I, I want to stay active by chasing things that excite me and that I, I just feel like wanting to do. I've proved myself. I've done that. Yeah, that's the interesting thing I found for me because I've had success in a number of different sports over the year. Over the years, I won the Highland Games World Championship. I, I had some powerlifting records. A strong man. I did professional rugby, and now I do this indoor rowing. And I find it about every five to seven years, man. I'm like, I'm ready for something new, you know. And it's kind of like because you get that excitement of that progression of of starting out as a relative novice, you know. And I always pick sports mm-hmm. that I think I'm going to be halfway good at. I'm not going to be a gymnast, you know, at six five. But I mean, <laughs> right? Kind of like you know, you kind of find something you think you got a good shot at, and then you're like, okay, let's push it out and see how far the body goes. And that keeps it interesting for me. But I think you know, it's it's exciting because you know, and I've trained with a lot of Olympians and guys that have been gold medalists, and you always see them. And if they don't find something new, man, they they just kind of flounder around they get fat and lazy and they don't their health goes to south and they don't find a different interest and so i think that's great that you've kind of said okay i've i've maxed out what i want to do in competitive three-lift powerlifting and now i'm going to go have fun and enjoy it and and push the envelope wherever i want to yeah because a and i wasn't pushing myself anymore and that's an important thing for me is to be continually you know challenging myself both physically mentally and emotionally because that's how we stay active. That's how we grow stronger is, you know, is overcoming challenges. This is, this is who, you know, that, that, that is the process process of adaptation. And it's, it's that simple. And so if you know what happens when we don't have those challenges in front of us, we get soft and starts the process of, you know, death, decay, you know, all the, you know, atrophy, uh, that's a downhill slope. Like, I don't want to sit on the couch just, you know, wasting my time away. Yeah, I call that waiting to die. I mean, basically, yeah. you know, I, I, if you look at wild animals, I mean, who gets picked off? It's the old, fat, slow ones. I mean, those ones that are gone. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, you know, and as a physician, I, I get into arguments a lot of times about how we define health. And I, I come to the simple fact is if you're doing what you were doing when you were younger and active and physically fit and in your 20s and you still maintain that, the longer you can maintain that, is as high of a percentage as possible, the healthier you're going to be. Absolutely. And my point too is like, we need to go beyond that physical nature because you can get soft mentally. You can get soft, you know, like not having, if you're not challenging yourself and have taking that same mindset to life in general, you're going to get the same things happen. You get a boring job that you feel like stabbing your eyes out, but it's like, well, it's so easy. I don't have to work and I just got to get through till Friday and I can have my weekend. You know, that's, do you really, like, that's a, we only got one shot at this life, you know, is that really what you want to leave? You know, and that's where I ran, that's where I walked. I had a highly successful career that I went and walked, you know, I was sought after for what I did. And I, I walked away from that to chase something with complete lack of security uh, I don't have regular income, you know, I'm founding, I've got four different businesses uh, that I'm, that I, you know, I'm a partner in at this point um, between Kabuki Strength, uh, Build Fast Formula, Barefoot Athletics, and then, you know, the Chris Duffin brand, book, speaking, all that sort of stuff. And, uh, but everything's, everything's up in the air every month. That's a challenge. It's a stress. Yes. But it's, I, you know, sometimes I, you know, some months it's just like, wow, man, this is like so much going on. How am I? And I'm like, God, I, I wouldn't have it any other way though. 
I, I don't think I can go back to the corporate world. I just, I, I it's, it scares me. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm in a similar boat to where like, there's not this one paycheck that comes in and one W2 form that comes in at the end of the year. It's like, there's, you got a few balls in the air uh, and they, they all have potential, but they also have as much potential of falling flat, you know, that bad year of oh, racing. Yeah. Sponsors yep. maybe don't want to want to give you as much or anything at all, and you know have a bad year of racing. Coaching clients, console calls don't necessarily want to use you anymore, and so a lot of stuff feeds off of one another. But like you know, it goes back to when you're saying like fueling that motivation. It's like if you tie your livelihood up into it, I think you know you have a little bit more of a nudge to kind of keep the keep the pedal down when maybe you wouldn't otherwise, or where where you'd maybe get a little soft or relaxed. Yeah, well, that's why I encourage people like you know if if they're working. And, you know, if they, if they get bored with their work and something comes up, you need to have like a little bit of fear in your gut, you know, about a job, a project or whatever. And if you've got that, that's your sense to say, that's the path I need to follow. You know, I need to check, God, it'd be a lot easier if I turned down that project that the boss is offering me, you know, and just kept this nice, convenient thing rolling or dang, that's a whole new opportunity. It scares me. Ah that's a pretty clear signal where you should go. There's a difference though between scared and not working with your life. So those are two different things. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I certainly echo the, the situation both you guys are in. I'm, I'm, you know, definitely in a different role than what I've been in most of my life. And so it's kind of been, kind of been interesting. Let's, let's just, because there's some people that probably may not know, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if the ultra runners are following Chris Duffin's powerlifting escapades, but I just want to just, just for the sake of completeness, just kind of tell us some of the crazy exhibition stuff you've done recently. And we, maybe we can talk yeah, a little yeah. about that. So, so uh, yeah, a, a lot of what I like to showcase is not just a one lift, but either repetitive lifts like every single day. So, because that highlights, you can't pull this up. It's not just about being strong, but you've got to know, You've got to have the rehab, the you know the the ability to rehab, deal with issues on the fly. Like you, you can't, uh, and I'll go through them in a second. But you can't squat 800 pounds every single day, and have like a you know issues start coming up that you're not able to deal with like immediately, or you're just gonna fall apart and die, <laughs> basically. <laughs> uh, and the other is like more strength endurance type feats. So instead of just one heavy lift, it's doing a lot of reps. So uh, some of the things that I've done. Um, I did, uh, so I have the Guinness world record for the sumo deadlift. Uh, so any weight class, any, whatever I've deadlifted more than anybody, uh, in the world with that style. And I did a thousand and one pounds, but I did it for almost three reps. Um, yeah, that's not really a high level of endurance. There's a reason that's only a partial piece of my, that's my, uh, my grand goals campaign. Um, and that one still, I'm going to finalize. Some other things that I've done, I did, I deadlifted 675 pounds. So Sean, you, uh, you know what this weight is, but it's a little hard to describe to somebody that's a non lifter. So like a 500 pound deadlift is a pretty legitimate, like you walk into any CrossFit gym and, you know, ask who's a strong deadlifter and they'll bring up somebody in the gym that's can deadlift 500 pounds. You know, it takes a lot of work. You know, this is a double body weight movement for a lot of people, you know, 250 pounds less, right? So I did this around 260 pounds. I deadlifted 675 pounds 
for 20 reps in about 30 seconds. So what that is, is a display of work capacity. <laughs> and if you watch it, I mean, the bar, I, I'm, I'm deadlifting so fast that the bar still hasn't even finished, like bending and reforming by the time I'm at the top of the deadlift and then back down in another one. So just that explosive power development uh, and, and work capacity. Um, a lot of people consider that like the, the biggest deadlifting, you know, single set they've ever seen, best they've ever seen. Uh, I did that sumo and some people don't like the sumo deadlift. So I got right up back under the bar and did it for another 10 reps conventional, which I'm pretty sure I could have done 20 conventional as well. But by that point I needed to go puke. So, uh, <laughs> so I went and did that. And then I was late, uh, running into, uh, our staff meeting too. So, uh, the more recent ones that I've done big feats of strength. So I did 800 squatted 800 pounds. This is, you know, getting close to world record level weight, uh, for, 30 days straight, every single day. Uh, this was a, a, a fundraiser. That one was for Special Olympics. Uh, Grand Goals was for um, uh, mothers that didn't have uh, homes to help them get homes and jobs uh, and, uh, and young boys that had gone through uh, 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 abuse as well, a home for them. Uh, then this last fall, I deadlifted 880 pounds, that's 400 kilograms. There's not many people in the world that can do this. And the people that can usually only can do it a couple times a year. I did it every single day for 16 days. And this one, something did go wrong on. When you're pushing things like I do, you've just gotta be okay with the fact that uh, there may be some trauma that happens. So I, uh, I tore off one of my hamstring muscles on day 17. Um, and that was a, uh, a fundraiser for Alex's lemonade stand, which is, uh, for childhood cancer research. Really great, uh, really great program. Um, if you don't know it, you should definitely, uh, look into it and hear Alex's story. Um, amazing. She was an amazing girl. So, um, so those are, those are some of the big ones that I've done, uh, right now. And right now I'm training for, to finish uh, the grand goals, which is going to finish with a uh, very heavy squat. So that's, uh, that's what I'm after right now. Nobody's ever both squatted and deadlifted a thousand pounds. And so that's my goal is to do that. And that's, you know, in competition, gym lifts, uh, it, people wearing suits, which I don't wear. Uh, you know, any sort of rules, all that, nobody, any weight class. And, uh, you know, this is competing with the guys that, you know, weigh 300 pounds, 350, 400 pounds. So a lot of the guys squatting, you know, that kind of weight are all in that 350, 400 pound range. Uh, the only guys that have ever deadlifted besides myself, uh, over a thousand pounds all weigh about 360 to 440. So, and that's, and I, I usually walk around around 260, 270. Yeah, I mean that's those are just incredibly impressive numbers, and I, I'm well well aware of what that's you know. And I put you know locked out. I've walked out a thousand pounds on my back when I used to power lift, but I couldn't squat it. I mean, I'd, be, I'd die trying to squat that. But I mean, and you know, I, I and, and I've done rack pulls with a thousand back when I was when I used to be relatively strong. So I mean, I mean, those are just incredibly incredibly impressive numbers. I mean, I was happy 
when I was in my surgical residency and I still wanted to train, I, I was doing this. I got into this Louis Simmons talking about the finished loggers, how every day they were dragging these big logs out of the trees. And so, I, you know, I was like, well, I'm just going to deadlift 500 pounds every day. And this is, you know, I was working 140 hours a week and I'd get in the gym at four o'clock in the morning. I'd walk in, I'd do a 500 pound deadlift and that was my workout, you know, and then I go, then I go do my surgical stuff and some that nights I'd sleep, some nights I wouldn't, but every day I did that for about six weeks. And man, I was, you know, it, it definitely, you got to be on, you know, on schedule to get that to do. And I can't imagine, you know, squatting 880 for 30 days in a row. I mean, that's, that, that, that just, you're right. You got to be doing something right to make that work. Yeah. And, and that's the other reason I do, I do this stuff. So uh, a big stuff, you know, we do a lot around human movement, um, but we also do a lot of uh, work in the, uh, you know, the soft tissue world. So we've got a complete line of uh, ISATM tools. We, uh, we teach a lot of different protocols for their use. Um, again, a lot of correct, I've got a, a website uh, based around corrective exercises and implementation. Uh, and, uh, you know, you've got to, a lot of it is demonstrate just what you can do if you actually do all this stuff and do it well. And that's to me is like pushing people's, you know, scope of how far we can push the body is, you know, realizing that it's, it's further than it's a lot further than you think. Uh, before I did those things, I said I was going to do them. There was people that just said it was impossible that I was insane and stupid. And like, it just like wasn't feasible at all. And then I did it. <laughs> so now for a word from our sponsors this episode of hbo is brought to you by juve juve uses targeted red light therapy to help assist with the changes to light exposure in our modern environment i've been trying out their desktop model recently and sean has been using their full body model i personally love the convenience of the desktop model for when I'm working on coaching plans or editing podcasts and just kind of generally sitting at the computer for long parts of the day. I can just set it and kind of forget it and it'll expose me to that red light therapy. Juve uses a unique Lego block design. So if you start small, you can always add units later to build a bigger model. If you think you might benefit from more red light exposure, check out some of the wide ranging clinically proven benefits to red light therapy that are focused on things like recovery, sleep, performance, inflammation, etc. If you like what you see, consider Juve's third-party tested class 2 FDA registered devices. Their options include door or wall mounts, mobile stands, and even a portable Juve mini. Head over to juve.com forward slash HPO. That's J-O-O-V-V dot C-O-M forward slash HPO to see Sean's training video. Enter HPO at the checkout for a gift with your purchase. Now back to the show. Yeah, I mean, if you'd asked me, you know, because and, and I, I get excited when I pull four hundred five for twenty, you know, and you know, like I'm, but but you know, it's kind of like six seventy five for that is pretty pretty darn impressive. I mean, that's the, I would have I would have been very surprised anybody. I mean, because I'd heard guys like, you know, Nick Best pulling five hundred for twenty, oh, yeah. and he's about my age. You know, I'm in my fifties, and I'm not like I said, I'm not focused on the heavy stuff anymore. But I still like to maintain at least a little bit. What are your thoughts on aging? Let's talk about that a little bit because I think. Uh, you know, we're all, I mean, Zach's still in the, in the sort of the prime of his life. I'm in the, I'm in the old guy. I don't, you know, I'm not sure how old you are. I know you're what in your forties, Chris. And I think. Yep. Uh, 40, uh, just 10 years of you, 42 uh, turning 43. What has so. aging been like for you and how, how are you dealing with that or what strategies are you using? Or is it changing anything for you? 
It's certainly uh, changing my training approach. Uh, I'm, I'm as strong as I've ever been, honestly, but it's because I have a foundation built of training for 30 years. And so what I'm able to do is be able to just focus on one area at a time. So you'll notice I didn't say I did squats and bench or and deadlift. Like it was just one lift. And that's all literally I would do training wise. You know, there's accessory movements, correctives, all sorts of other stuff that feeds into it. But the only thing I'm training with any level of intensity is that one lift during that period of time. And it makes it so much easier on the body to do that. Now, not a great training approach because I'm relying on all the adaptation I've had over, you know, three decades, right? So if you go in and only did squats, you're not going to develop yourself in a very full manner. So uh, squats would be, any of those would be pretty good, but you're, you've got huge deficits. I mean, there's no, you know, you've got, in, uh, you know, no vectors, you know, horizontal vector training for the, for the upper body at all, you know, pushing and pulling, uh, you know, the posterior chain, it depends on your, your level of how you squat, but uh, you could cause some issues there. Um, but it certainly helped me. Um, my training partner, and he's been my training partner for about a decade now, is 70 years old. And he still competes in powerlifting. And he uh, competes as a drug-tested athlete. And he is squatting um, upper 400s, is 198-pound, 70-year-old, yeah, uh, deadlifting in the mid-500s and benching in the low 300s. And uh, he's one of those guys that says, you know, you know, age is, is you know, it's just a, a state of mind. You know, I, that's a great thing to tell ourselves, but you know, we all know that that's not really reality. I mean, there is a, is a process that happens. Um, but I've known him for 10 years, I've trained with him for 10 years. And for almost that, you know, we started training, that means we started, well, it's been longer than that because uh, I think I started training with him when he was 58 he got stronger every year because he believed he would. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's crazy. And now he's pushing 70 years old, looks amazing, is vital with life. And uh, you look at somebody else's age and they don't even look, you're like, I don't even understand how you're even in the same, you know, window within 20 years of each other um, because of those impact that it has on the body. Um, and obviously there's a whole lot of physiological things that happen, you know, that we know from bone density, uh, you know, muscle, muscle maturity, the, the things that that does from, um, you know, on a cellular level in the body, like training is just an incredibly being active. It doesn't have to be strength training. I don't care what people do, but some sort of physical cult expression of physical culture in your life of you know, working against resistance, working against load in some manner is going to have tremendous impact across all aspects of, you know, not just, not just your strength and your health, but your mental well-being, you know, all those other pieces. And, uh, you know, you've got you've to adapt as, as you need to. Um, I know that he's made some changes, as, you know, this last couple years. You know, it's certainly not, not recovering the way that he has in the past. Uh, myself, like I said, I've made some changes, but honestly, because of those changes and being smart about it, I'm in, I'm in my forties and my best lifts have been there. You know, that's pretty crazy. You know, yeah, 
Chris, you said something that was interesting to me because I see some parallels, I think, within the endurance like sphere as well, where like you, you're talking about you have this massive 30 year base. So like when you decide to go one direction, you just have to like really specialize on it. And, yeah, and I can see- just do a very minor maintenance load of some, you know, activity in the other uh-huh. range. Like I could do push-ups. That's fine. And I'll maintain my upper body. People are like, how, how is your upper body still swollen? I'm like, well, you know, I, I did some curls a couple times. I've done some push-ups and some table presses and stuff. And they're like, what? I'm like, well, I didn't get to this size and this strength that way, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's an awesome message too. Cause I think like what I try to tell folks is like, get consistent with what you're trying to do and build that big foundation. Cause once you have that, you can go so many different directions. And Sean and I have talked about this before in the past too, is like once you kind of get that routine, get that consistency and get that base in there, it's really easy to stay at like 90% of your, of your potential. And then it's just like, when you're there, it's a lot easier then to make a decision. Okay. I'm really motivated right now to really pursue this specific thing. And then you don't have to necessarily start from zero to get there. You just have to go from 90% up to where, where you're trying to get to. Yeah. And it's the same thing as a standard uh, training process, right? So if we make some, if we, if we develop some certain qualities in our training, so qualities could be endurance, could be speed strength, uh, muscular, you know, hypertrophy, like whatever qualities we've developed in a certain training block. Some people always think it's like, okay, now I'm moving to another training block. Now I'm strength focused. I got to quit doing those things. Well, that's the wrong approach. You still want to have a little bit in there to maintain them. I'm just talking about as you get older, you can do it and you develop that bigger foundation. You can do it on a much bigger level. Um, you know, I'm, for me, it's about I'm developing my tolerance for axial load. So people are amazed. I don't squat for a year. I walk in and I squat 800 pounds. They're like, how did you do that? You haven't been squatting. I'm like, well, I was deadlifting. I did some front squats. I did, you know, like not understanding that, you know, the process as a whole sometimes hurts people as well. Um, So you want to, you want to have some level of maintenance, but it doesn't have to be, it could be, you know, one set every three or four weeks. And we're talking, this is a micro cycle, you know, section of maintaining those qualities. And now we're talking about like, let's spread that out over years or decades, right? You get that foundation, you still have to do work to maintain it, but it's not near this, it's, it's nowhere near the same. Uh, now, if you quit altogether, now your base is going to drop away. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. I mean, I, like I said, I've got 40 years of training behind me and I, I find that you know, I, as long as I hit stuff occasionally, I'm good. I can stay there, and I and I and I and I and I re- relatively can hit 90% of what I'm at without much effort. And then it, you know, then it's to, to peak. I really want to get a heavy deadlift, or if I want to do something, I've got to I've got to invest some additional time in there. But I mean, once you kind of get there, and and, and what I mean, the young guys need to need to realize coming up is you got you got to lay the foundation down for a couple for a decade or two. Yep. And, and then you can kind of, you can kind of sit back a little bit, but you still, I mean, you never quit, you never give up. And I, I find for me, you know, it's like I said, my goal right now is, is I still have some performance goals, but in general from health, I, I like to be strong. I like to have some muscle mass, you know, some muscle hypertrophy. I like to be fit and I like to be able to jump and move. And so I, I incorporate all, a little bit of that stuff throughout the, throughout the year, you know, and on a regular basis and, and it just works pretty well. And, Let's tr- let's transition to another topic. I, I I have no idea what your opinion is on this because I, I'm very opinionated on this. But let's talk a little bit about diet. 
What about nutrition? Where do you, where do you see diet go? Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, um, throw out the idea of, you know, we have a lot of, uh, sort of information coming out that we should all be eating a, a plant-based diet. And that is something that, uh, you know, there's a movie called the game changers that Schwarzenegger is kind of backing with James Cameron and they've got some pea protein money behind that. But tell me about diet and performance. Um, well, I, I like to think of diet not as a diet because we think of diet and people automatically jump to kind of losing weight, losing fat, whatever it is. And uh, there's a lot of different ways to roam you can go about. It. it all comes down to reducing your caloric intake, right? And there's a lot of different ways to accomplish that. But it's more of what's a lifestyle? What is something that is sustainable for me to help me be, be there? So... People love to popularize certain ideas. Um, I, I like to use intermittent fasting myself uh, a fair bit when I want to maintain my weight or lose my weight. And people will tell you stories about it, spiking growth hormone and doing this. And I'm like, I, I don't believe any of that. It just helps me without having to manage my macros, like be counting my food and weighing it to be able to eat a little bit less and fit it in a work day. Uh, you know, the classical, a lot of people call it a bodybuilder diet, but, you know, eating eight times a day. Uh, yeah, you know, you've got more opportunities for protein synthesis if you're, you know, always have, you know, protein and nitrogen levels elevated in your body. But, you know, I don't, with my life in my work, it's, it was always hugely problematic. Like, I got to jump into a meeting. I got to take a call, do a podcast fit my training. Like I can't, I can't manage that. So, so for me, that doesn't work that well, but again, these are, they're all different approaches. Now, um, I, uh, I recently, I went from like 275 down to 235, uh, this last, uh, winter and showed some side-by-side -side pictures and people are immediately like, Oh my God, you know, when are you, when, when, when are you cycling in your carbs and like coming to these predisposed opinions about popularized diets out there? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Did I ever say I didn't have carbs? There hasn't been a day that I haven't had carbs except for, you know, towards the end I did a photo shoot cause I was like 5% body fat and shredded. I was like, Oh, Hey, let's do some, let's get some media and get some stuff out there. So I, I didn't have carbs the day before. There's a little bit of like, stuff that you can do to prep to look a little better day of a photo shoot type thing that has nothing to do with diet, but it's just funny how people like, Oh, well, you know, keto diets really popular. You must not be eating carbs or the carnivore diet or the such and such diet. Um, I think anything you've got to have a good mixture of food. I'm a big believer in meat, uh, as a, as a protein source. And there's, there's a lot of studies backing that, um, you know, I don't have problems with pea protein or other stuff. Uh, but you know, yeah, amino acid profiles pretty good on pea protein, but you know, the micronutrients and, you know, is different for each of these types of, you know, like just having one meat source again is maybe not the best source. You know, a lot of people like, well, Stan, Stan loves promoting, you know, just, just, uh, just red meat or beef you know, because of, you know, certain, uh, micronutrient, uh, 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 profiles combined with the types of fats and so on. Well, 
you know, pork loin has the same, you know, has a better, better quality, you know, micronutrients and, you know, also is as nearly as lean as, as chicken. If you're wanting to drop some of the fats out of there. Um, again, I, I don't think we, my view is people love to demonize certain sites of foods and, and, and brand certain types of diets, uh, because it's, it's an easy way to sell something or push something unique. And I really hate seeing anything being demonized. There's no bad food. Uh, and there's no like magic diet. It comes down to math. And, you know, if you calorie intake is less or more, we need to have, you know, basic level of carbs for an energy source. We need to have, you know, building blocks for muscle. So we need to have our protein and aminos. Uh, we've got to have fats for hormone. Like uh, you need all these things. We got to have our micronutrients. If you're not eating enough greens, you know, you know, get on Amazon and order a tub of, of, uh, of freeze dried powder, kale, spinach, and, uh, and broccoli, you know, get those in your diet, preferably go eat that stuff first. Um, and so, you know, <clears throat> anyway, that's, those are my views, I guess. So uh, I don't have anything groundbreaking there. You know, try to eat a little processed stuff if you want to be cleaner or less processed stuff if you want to be cleaner. Uh, but there's, there's big gaps when you start going with certain fad diets like uh, ketogenic or carnivore diets really popular right now. That can be great for people, you know, if they've got certain inflammation levels or, you know. Uh, uh, but at the same time, a lot of people are training because they're either an athlete or they want to look good. If you're not having carbs, you're going to be flat and look like crap. Your training's not going to be as good. You're going to be less quality of an athlete, right? Um, so I'm not a huge fan of any of those that are cutting out, you know, some of the basic things that we need as human beings. Yeah, I've got some, I've got some experience with, with some of the carnivore stuff. So just, I'll leave it at that. But let me ask you. Um, if, it, if it works for you and you're getting the goals, like that's, like I said, if it's for someone's lifestyle and it works and they're getting there. Um, you know, some of my friends, um, gosh darn it, uh, one of the, uh, Chris Bell I know has had, you know, some major inflammation issues. Uh, you know, he got on painkillers and addiction and all this stuff because of that after his hip surgeries. And now he's living life and he's having that, you know, that carnivore diet. Um, but he's in less pain and he seems happier. And I'm like, that's a good thing. Unfortunately, if we look at some people's blood work that are on that diet, uh, some of the numbers start looking pretty bad. Uh, but again, uh, there's a lot, there's a lot more to it. In his case, I think it makes sense. But that's, that's an, an outlier case, I think, in those, in, in those cases. Yeah, you make so. the argument for every individual, there's a, there's a different maybe scenario that works best for them. Oh, absolutely. Let me, um, I want to, this is something that came up and you probably have something to say about this. So, uh, Joe Rogan had a guy on strongman Robert Oberston, uh, a while ago. I don't know if you caught wind of it. And I, I, I just heard it secondarily because I've deadlifted my whole life and I like to deadlift and I assume you like to deadlift. And he was saying that, you know, deadlift is really kind of a bad exercise and, you know, outside of competitive powerlift, there's no reason for anyone to do that. What are your thoughts on conventional? I mean, Standard barbell. I know. I know the trap bar has become very popular. A lot of people like to do that because it shifts, uh, you know, center of the mass a little forward, more forward, and it takes a little bit of the you know pressure off the posterior chain. What are your thoughts on the 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 so, sort of the, the notion that deadlifting is is actually bad for us? 
so that's not what Robert said, by the way. So um, there's definitely context to the uh, to the discussion. I had a uh, pod, I had uh, an IG live with uh, Robert on this uh, on this topic a few days after he was on Rog Rogan for about 45 minutes. So if anybody wants to dive a little bit further, you can uh, dig through my channel and find that. Um, I, uh, in essence, I agree with a lot of what Robert was saying. Um, because he was saying a lot of performance athletes don't necessarily need to deadlift with a, a deadlift bar. But they can get some of those, you know, those, those same qualities by using a trap bar and that that's what a lot of uh, those athletes use. And I think there's definitely some validity to that. Um, one, we've got some variability of height issues. So particularly with our, you know, I deal with a lot of um, athletes and coaches in those disciplines. And these are outliers. They're not normal people walking around. <laughs> um, you know, somebody's going to have torso and arm links and stuff like this that they're just not going to. A deadlift plate happens to be, you know, 17 and 7 eighths inches around. The bar's at the center, so about nine inches off the ground. That doesn't mean it's the perfect height for everyone. Um, so does the, does the bar, you know, anyway, I sell a lot of trap bars. Uh, to those populations just for that reason. So not just that, but uh, the, the ease of use and being able to teach it. It's a little bit easier to teach and engage an athlete with a neutral grip, which would be the, the trap bar. Um, so is there any reason that th they need to learn and do a barbell deadlift? Not really. Um, is there value in having them do some axial loading and uh, a, a movement of picking something up off the ground? Absolutely. This is a skill that basically everybody, every human being has to master at some point in their life because you've got kids, groceries, things that you're going to pick up. And this is a basic fundamental, you know, movement that people have to have. Um, so being able to stabilize the spine and then be able to efficiently transfer power from the floor through the, uh, through the body into the, into the shoulders and be able to pick something up without losing or compromising both that position and stabilization that you've done. This is basic fun human fundamental stuff. And every person in the world, barring those with disabilities, needs to learn and know how to do it. Or they're, they're setting themselves up for both long-term pain, degenerative issues, so on. Does that mean they have to master a barbell deadlift? No, there's a lot of ways that we can go about doing that. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's good. And, and thanks for clarifying, because I'd heard secondhand about Rogan, because I didn't watch, I didn't actually watch Overst interview, but I, I was uh, It was, it, it, I'm, not, I'm not giving you a hard because literally people like saw an opportunity for an argument and they cherry flipped that <laughs> pick out and like posted it on YouTube, but didn't put in any of the context discussion leading up to it. So, uh, and so people were bashing and trolling and all this other stuff. And I'm like, it, it's really a non thing. Like, it's completely a non issue. So, uh, but you know, it makes, it makes fun for arguing on the internet. So, and you get an email from everyone of your coaching yeah. clients saying, Hey, why are you <laughs> <laughs> so fundamentally, everybody needs to learn those patterns being learn those positions, learn how to stabilize the spine, transfer power. That's a deadlift. Yeah. Pretty damn basic thing that everybody, you know, needs to know how to do, but we can do that by varying the tools a little bit, doing things to, you know, adapt it towards a specific athlete's needs or goals. And there's other ways to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I definitely agree with that. And I, I've, 
because I, I just grew up convention doing conventional deadlifts with a regular regular old you know bar from for my whole life and i and i kind of discovered a trap bar like a few years ago i'd been i'd seen them in the gym for years i was like i don't want to mess with that and i started doing them a little bit but i still like to do the conventional deadlifts i mean i've, I've kind of got the oh, groove down and enjoy it and sometimes i'll throw the trap bar in. and you know the trap bar you can throw a little more weight on there if well, if you can get a long enough one that'll hold enough plates, but I mean, it's, 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 a well, the Kabuki strength one's long enough. We have, uh, they're machined to full deadlift bar uh, spec sleeves. We got the low handle position, high handle position, yeah, and no, different size handles. It's open so you can walk into it and actually do other athletic patterns. So hey, let me, like, let me like elevated split squats, lunges. Uh, we can even make the grip uh, spin. We've got a two inch, our two inch handle either either fixed or it'll spin like the rolling thunder to challenge your grip more um anyway it's a pretty damn cool bar here so. i'll give you i'll give you a bit of trivia i bet no one knows this probably i'm the only one maybe i'm the only one guy in the world that knows this, but that rolling thunder when it came out they had a they had a national championships this is it this is something that they had at the north american strongman society's national championships and i was there i was competing I actually won the first ever Rolling Thunder National Championships. You know, it was like – it wasn't that much. It was only like 215 pounds back then. But back then it was nobody was doing Rolling Thunder at the time. And so, Zach, for you don't know, it's just this big fat grip thing that rolls and you grab it up with one hand and try to lift it up. But okay. first National uh, Rolling Thunder Championships. But I want to ask you, um, you know, because I've just, you know, trained with barbells and I've got some stuff. I have medicine balls and, you know, box jumps and stuff like that. And I, I, I do some, you know, I carry stones around and that stuff kind of old school stuff you know when louis simmons came out with uh, with the uh reverse hyper that was kind of one of these you know maybe some people thought it was a groundbreaking piece of equipment is there any equipment out there that's really sort of changing the game that you've seen as far as really making a difference outside of just regular old barbells and and, and that sort of stuff yeah in fact i know a company that produces stuff that does that <laughs> so anyway uh I'll talk about the transformer bar. Uh, we, the transformer bar is getting used across basically all major league sports in the world today. And it's going by storm. It's the only bar in the world. So every other bar you put on your back, um, you don't have any ability to manipulate where the load sits in space. And, and I think nobody just kind of thought about it, but if we actually move that load in space and have ability to move it around, what we can do the load actually always stays above the midfoot. We're actually able to manipulate spinal mechanics and where the load sits about the hip joint as well. So it's gonna affect how deep a person's squatting, what muscles they're engaging, all this sort of stuff. We can take people that are those big outliers that like everybody needs the back squat. That's what everybody believes. I'm like, you ever work with freaky, you know, <laughs> uh, the, the freaky people that are in Major League Baseball or the, or the NBA? Like well, there's a lot of people in those that can't ever back squat without compromising position because their torso length and femur links and all this, like they're giant people. And they, the, some of them, they don't have the biomechanics to be able to do that. And we're able with those populations to actually get them to execute a perfect, beautiful squat with greater engagement. So we're able to queue up and get with a lesser load, more engagement of both the anterior and posterior chains of the movement. We can clean up issues in the spine, which ends up affecting what's going on in the hip, the knees, the ankle, all sorts of stuff. So it's a, it's really an incredible bar. It's the only bar in the world like it. And um, so we've got uh, the weight set on two axes. One's a rotational. So we can mimic 
and the other is the distance from center. So we can, you know, imagine that weight with the center of it being, you know, in your back, but we can move it around that point, 360 degrees. There's really no point in moving it behind you uh, that we found yet. And, and then move that, change that distance from center. So we can mimic things that you wouldn't normally be able to mimic. So a lot of times, like somebody's squatting like crap, a coach will put a kettlebell in their hand and teach them a goblet squat. It'll clean up a lot of things that happen. One, loads over the midfoot, allows for more spinal uprighting behind the, behind the load. We get greater engagement of the core. Um, we don't have the elevation of the, of the rib cage. Uh, so it improves bracing mechanics, oh, it turns it on more just because of the location. But you can't, you can't load a goblet squat effectively, not for an athlete. Your shoulders are going to give out. Well, now I've, you know, I've done, I've done front squat, goblet squat type uh, squats with over 800 pounds on me using that transformer bar. Um, and the changes it brings and the ability to, to really fine tune it for a specific athlete or for a specific uh, training stimulus is just incredible. And uh, so that's, that's kind of stuff that we work around is uh, improving biomechanics. And we make a lot of specialty bars. Uh, we just came out with a bench pressing bar. Looks like a Swiss bar, um, but it's curved. And so a lot of people look at the curve and go, oh, you're just, it's a Swiss bar that allows for a greater range of motion. If you've ever picked up a Swiss bar or football bar, and Sean, I know you, you have, I really hate them. They want to move around in your wrist. Immediately out of the rack, they want to break your face, like break back in your hand. You touch your chest, they move again. And we've got inherent instability. So the center of rotation of the bar is where the center of mass is the weight of the weight is, but the handle is off axis. It's basically just like, that's a whole lot of words. It's a teeter totter. So a teeter totter never can find center. You walk into a playground, it's always sitting on one side or another. This is simple physics. It's an infinitely perfect spot that can never be found. And so you've got this instability in the wrist makes the lift hard. Well, what we've done is created an arc and then we've actually controlled the hand position to uh, maximize uh, the position of the joint, uh, the shoulder joint, but that arc also drops the weight below the center of rotation. So it's like a swing. You walk into a playground, where's a swing sit? Dead center all the time. It's self-centering. So you take this out of the rack and it stabilizes it in your hand. We eliminate that induced instability in the wrist, and we found it just has a huge effect downstream on uh, how, how great the shoulder feels and all those joints, how they stack up. And then uh, each handle position, it's a multi-handle bar. I know you're familiar, but uh, the listeners may not be. It's a multi-handle bar. Each one is slightly more externally rotated as you move out, which is, again, is the arc of the shoulder. As you move your arm out wider, you're gonna be more externally rotated or more internally rotated as you, as you grow with a more narrow or neutral uh, uh, grip. So we match that to manage. And basically you cannot get the shoulder in a compromised position while pressing with this bar. And you get a greater range of motion, a greater training effect, which also carries over to athleticism because nearly every sport that we've got that uh, develops power through the shoulder, we start developing it behind the shoulder if you're starting to develop once you've got in front of yourself, you're already too late to the game. You know, throwing a ball, throwing a javelin, you know, on the football field, 
you know, pushing opponents away, like it, on and on and on. We need to be starting to develop that power sooner. Let so me, those are example, a couple examples of our products. And that's what we're doing. We're, nobody's changed the barbell in forever. And those are just a couple of the ones that we've come out with. Um, but that's when you actually understand the body and biomechanics and can start putting stuff into place, you can make these like, again, it's playground physics <laughs> in place that are not like, they're, they're not genius stuff, but they have just an incredible impact on the body. Let me, let me just switch gears again on you, Chris. And, and because I want to, because, you know, working with a lot of athletes and, and there's definitely different demands depending on the sport they're, they're involved in. We see a lot of people that are proponent of what they call a hit style type of training, you know, the high intensity training, mm -hmm. you know, the Mike Mentzer, the Arthur Jones, where it's all slow controlled movements, time under tension, long periods of time designed to develop hypertrophy. What are your thoughts with regard to that compared to maybe more conventional training where like, I mean, I still do a lot of explosive type stuff. I'll do high pulls and some snatches and I'll do jumping and I'll do, you know, a lot of that stuff in there just because I like, I like to do it for one. And I think it simulates what I'm trying to do athletically, but does it, does there, is there a role for this real slow stuff or is that, is that how everybody should be training? Cause there's people that will tell you that, that is a, that is the way everybody should be training this this real you know kind of time under tension, you know infrequent training. Well, what what's your from, thoughts on training schemes? From from a uh, uh, from a training perspective, um, time under tension certainly has an impact on hypertrophy. Okay. Now, from an athletic perspective, nearly all sports are about developing and transferring power. Okay, fast and efficiently. So they're a little bit opposed there. Now, developing hypertrophy is gonna develop strength. I would preference somebody that's gonna focus on time under tension training would be more in the world of aesthetics or bodybuilding, okay? If you're gonna do it through the entire movement, both the eccentric um, and the concentric uh, phases of the movement. Another way that you can play with that, however, if you wanna kinda of elicit the effects of both is just focus on the time under tension during the eccentric phase and controlling the movement. So do a long count. So maybe a little bit longer because you're still gonna have an explosive concentric phase. And now try to be fast and as powerful as possible. So if I was dealing with an athlete and they really wanted, they liked that style of training, um, you know, we're always gonna bias things towards an athlete. Now for us, we focus a little bit more on, again, dealing with we deal, we deal with strength athletes. So that's certainly not the goal of what we want to be doing with any of our strength athletes because we want to move more weight. And if I can move a weight faster, be more explosive, it's going gonna, it's gonna to kick. So we, it's also the amount of effort, the amount of neural drive. So um, which is that is pure athleticism or strength training is not just training the muscle to be stronger or to add more muscle to be stronger is to develop the neurology, the pathway, okay, um, to develop it. That's why I, one of the reasons I lift so much, okay, I engage and recruit a lot more muscle, uh, muscle fiber, okay, and fire it a lot faster than other people, okay. I'm only 260 pounds. I lift what a lot of people massively larger than I do, okay. I don't have more muscle. It's neurology, okay. So none of our athletes, we're going to focus on that. But anytime you're as a coach, you know, 
you're not going to be able to take somebody and switch them or do something like if, Hey, this is what I want to do. I want to have that. This is a way around it or something that could be put in place in like a hypertrophy block where we don't move backwards. Um, but we focus on what we call effort-based training and to actually monitor that we monitor the speed of the movement. And so we have velocity devices. And if you watch my videos, you'll see this attached to the bar on nearly all of them. And so instead of like training to a specific percentage, like let's say my plan is to get 12 repetitions and in the 85 to 90% range, I actually have a profile for my lift of what all the corresponding percentages are and the velocity associated with it. So I would actually look to train within that velocity window that corresponded with it instead. So if I'm not trying hard enough and moving the weight hard enough, I can't, I can't add more weight because I'm actually not, uh, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm outside of the window. Um, and it also works as a, is an auto regulation tool. So it adds up all the stress, life, sleep, have I eaten enough, all those, how am I adapting? Because in, you know, if I've got a plan and it's like, hey, here's a 12 week training plan, it's all guesswork and people are like, oh, you're gonna put on 10 pounds on your bench. Well, you don't know that. Uh, so you develop a plan, but if you go off of effort and speed of the bar, then you'll actually be able to see if you're responding uh, and recovering to plan, faster than plan, or slower than plan, and the weights will adjust themselves because you're essentially training off of what your daily max is that day based on all recovery mechanisms. And yeah, so well, was, if anybody wants to dive further, just Google uh, uh, auto-regulation book of methods, and we've got some great lectures and um, articles on this subject and actually show you how to do a, a velocity profile of a lift. But uh, we like calling it effort-based training because if you're not trying, it doesn't work. Like, you know, sometimes it goes just move faster. So I cover this because that, I think that answers your question. It definitely shows you where our bias is, right? Yeah, yeah. And, I, and, when I, and I, coming from a throwing background, because I got into Highland Games, I did a little track and field. And, and when I was doing this, this is about seven, eight years ago when I was sort of really, uh, you know, participating in this pretty regularly. There was a device called a Tendo unit, which I'm sure you're familiar with, and everybody's using the Tendo unit to see how fast they're they're, they're doing their, yeah, that's their what high we, pull. That, that, that's what we use. Yeah. yeah, so the Tendo units. And so, I mean, I, I just wonder if you found, I mean, it, it, it's going to vary for every every lift, what velocity and, and percentage of, of max you're going to use to get the best effect. Can you give us just one example of maybe, say, squats or, 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 or high pulls or something where you say, this tends to be the, 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 the speed we're looking at. This is the, you know, the, the percentage max, whether it's 60% of max or 50% of max. Where, where, are you, where are you typically training when you're looking at, at speed? Uh, well, it's going to develop, depend on where your training plan is and what qualities you're trying to develop. So um, it, it's going to be, think about it as percentages again. So you're not always going to be training at 95% all year round, right? So, if you're training at 95%, I could tell you what your speed would be. But again, for that lift. So different lifts are going to be different. Um, just like uh, even within a lift. So if you do a close grip bench, the same weight, if you're, let's say, less than 90%, the close grip bench will be faster than a wide grip bench. But you can typically wide grip bench more. 
but that's because we have a longer stroke on a close grip bench. So acceleration has to be faster to be able to accomplish the lift. So just because you can move it faster doesn't necessarily mean that you can lift more with it. So there's, there's a lot of things that go into it again. And my lifts are going to be a lot slower than someone else's as well, because, or I'll be able to work into a lot slower area as well. Um, and that is shows you, uh, basically that, that neurological training. So a lot of people will, you know, taper off around 0.2 meters per second. And some of my lifts, um, my deadlifts may be down to 0.05 meters per second, which is something no, nobody else can a lot. Well, not nobody else, but very few people can actually pull a weight that slow, grind through it and complete it. That takes a lot of training through the years to be able to develop the ability to do that. And that's what allows you to lift more. I may still be moving the same weight, uh, a lighter weight at 0.2 meters a second as someone else, but I can lift a lot more because I can continue to tap those resources a lot longer than they can. Okay. But we, what we do is we recommend um, profiling the core, core lifts that you have. So you basically start with, uh, you know, the bar or bar at a plate and you start making a bunch of uh, progressions and capturing the speed as you go up and you work towards a max. Okay. From that data. And we'll, we, we give people a spreadsheet to do this. You create a linear regression line. So you're basically um, charting the slope of that line. So now anywhere along there, if you want to know what 87% of your max is, what the speed should be, this is what it is. So, the speed's going to be varying individually. And then where that top point in again is all individual, but you can map all that out, but you're not going to do that for bicep curls and other silly accessory lefts. You're just going to go do your four sets of 10 or whatever it is on those movements. Cause you're more focused on hypertrophy and just building, you know, adding some more size to work with in the future. Um, so we really take and look at just like, what are the core lifts for a specific athlete? Um, and then we man the, any of those lifts that you would be managing really on that kind of percentage, uh, you know, in a more of a percentage, uh, periodized manner. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. And I'm, I'm very familiar with that stuff. And I, like I said, I, I'm just, I'm just kind of curious of what has evolved since I last looked at that because I kind of stepped away from that world, but I'm just wondering, I don't know if you're, are you familiar with a guy named Bert Soren, Sorenex and those guys? Yeah, yeah. You know, so I know they were looking at one point, they were looking at physical preparedness and I'm not to, not to talk about Louis Simmons and general preparedness, but you know, they come in, in the, at the beginning of the workout and they, they kind of do a little test and they do like a, maybe a, you know, a 50% snatch and they look at the speed they're, they're hitting at neurologically that day. And they're like, okay, this is the day I'm going to blast this. I mean, is there any way to sort of, I mean, the nervous system is going to vary day to day and I'm sure you've done a lot of re experimentation and, and, and sort of figuring how to make that nervous system fire quickly. What's, what's, uh, can you comment on that stuff at all? Well, that's exactly what we're doing. So, um, so like I said, I, in that example, I want to get 12 repetitions in, in the 85 to 90% range. So instead of calling out 85 to 90%, I would know that my corresponding velocity is 0.3 to 0.35 meters per second. Right. And as I'm warming up, I'm going to see on my warm-up weights whether they're faster or slower and know that when I get into that range today, instead of putting 750 pounds on that bar, 
that I'm probably going to be able to put 770 pounds on the bar and do the workout. And I'm actually 20, 20 pounds ahead because of everything's firing and working right. And that's where huge value comes in because, well, you've deadlifted 772 pounds. Very few people have done that. So you know that 700 pounds is heavy. And, you know, I, I love, you know, a uh, subjective measures that people use, you know, like, oh, I feel good or reps in reserve or RPE or any of these others. But can you differentiate between 700 pounds and knowing that you should be doing three sets of three, or I said 12 reps, so three sets of four, that you should be doing three sets of four with 700 pounds or 705 or 710 that day? You can't, but the velocity will tell you that you're actually there and able to take advantage of that five pounds here, that seven pounds over here in two weeks, another five, like any opportunity that you have, you're going to have that opportunity and be able to take advantage of it. So over a course of a training block, that's huge. Now over the course of a year, that's huge. And so a lot of people, when they started playing with VBT, we're all doing the speed work, like measuring fast lifts or the dynamic efforts or some of that other stuff. And that's where we came in and pioneered, like measuring it for your heavy stuff. And actually, even though we're not, the goal isn't to, to move it. Well, it's not, it is to move it fat, but it's the goal is to actually add more weight. And so we use the tool as an indicator to tell us when to add more weight or oh my God, that staying up late with the kids last night because, you know, baby was up puking. I think I'm good. I come in, I feel good, but it's, it's just not working. And it's like, I should be trained with 680 today because that's all I got. And if I go 705 or 700, I'm going to be beat up next week or the week after. So you're not going to know it then, but you trained with too much. And then you're going to feel that the after effects that, that down, the, down the road. So actually using speed as an objective indicator for heavy work, uh, for auto regulation purposes, uh, we started doing that about six-ish years ago and uh, have just found tremendous benefits in, uh, from that. Did I, did I answer your question there? Yeah, no, you did, Chris, and I think that's, that's good. And, and again, at the end of the day, results speak for themselves. I mean, you're obviously putting to test your theory and, and succeeding, you know, in, 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 in a way that I think is dramatically positive. Um, I have to, unfortunately, go pick up my – bring my son – I got to go to my son's school to pick meet with a teacher for, for a parent-teacher conference here in a little bit, so I'm going to have to cut this one down. But um, can you tell us a little bit about your book, Chris, just, just before we go and where people can find you? And Zach, if you guys want to continue on when I duck out, I'm happy. I mean, you got so much great. I could literally talk for three hours with you, Chris, about this stuff. And I, I know we, we've already kept you for over almost an hour and a half, but unfortunately, oh, I got to I got to. No worries. I, I said anyone. Sometimes people want to cover too many topics. And I'm like, just pick some because on um, anything we dive into, uh, we're going to go into depth. So there's, <laughs> it's not peripheral stuff we mess with. So, yeah, the book. Um, so I'm really excited about this. This has been a passion project of mine because Kabuki strength and basically, you know, my other, you know, barefoot athletics, our foot, my footwear company and build fast uh, supplementation is all built around the physical aspects of things. And arguably, I don't argue, my argument is, you know, the mental and emotional sides of strength are much more impactful on your life. And so this has been the piece I've wanted to do for so long. So I've really carved out this last year and worked on putting together, uh, together this book. And so 
there might be a couple pages on there around uh, a training, but it is really around philosophy that you can put into life, business relationships, all those sorts of things. And I use my story to cover those, those, those points. And it really isn't telling, I think it's really important for people to understand. I don't tell people how to live. I don't tell them what their values are, what their goals should be, any of that. There's no, no, no morality around anything. Just it's what I want people to do. And what I do with the book is ask the questions uh, and show stories as well to have people dive deeper and themselves. Okay. And then in the end, try to provide tools. Uh, well, not in the end, but throughout the book, uh, provide tools again for people to, uh, to achieve that. Cause it's all about really understanding what your values are in life. Okay. And a lot of people want to jump straight to achieving success, setting goals and all this way too early. And we've got to understand step one is understanding what our values are. And there's some, there's a lot of digging that's got to go into that. Once you understand what, what you truly value in life, you can start the goal setting process. And then from there, you know, we have some additional tools and time management, things like that for helping you achieve and live a life that defines those values and those goals. And so um, the book itself is the, the story is uh, uh, pretty incredible. I think I, I, you know, we've all have our own, our own lives, our own problems. I'm not saying mine are worse or we're worse than anybody else's. Um, but I have seen a very big scope in my, in the course of my life. And uh, you know, I talked about growing up homeless, but you know, there was dealing with murderers, uh, <laughs> a serial killer, a human trafficking ring, like just the, it, it go, it, it's, well, it's, it's parts maybe a, 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 a little deep and dark, but it's still, like a really engaging read and, and, and an easy read as well. So it's available in all formats. So ebook, paperback, hardcover, and then the audio version, which I did myself, uh, are all available. You can get it on uh, Barnes and Noble, amazon.com. If you want a signed hardcover, uh, you can order through uh, Kabuki Strength as well. Um, and uh, there's Amazon or Audible uh, has an incredible deal going right now on the, uh, the Audible uh, where you can get my book for free along with another book for free if you sign up uh, for their service. And um, anyway, it's an incredible deal. There's a link to that uh, on my uh, profile on, on uh, Instagram. So, so you can go check that out or go to ChristopherDuffin.com. Uh, there should be a link on there as well. Um, but I uh, really encourage people to, to take a look at it. Uh, it's been a really powerful piece. The feedback has just been amazing. Nothing but five-star reviews and just phenomenal. Like people reaching out to me, uh, you know, with their completed homework from, I, I did some, some homework assignments in the book and whatnot. Uh, but, uh, seeing, seeing people and the impact it's had on people's life, it's been incredible. It's a bestseller in five different categories right now. Um, so this is not just, you know, some, you know, some little, uh, uh book you're gonna, this is something that, you get through it, it's going to affect your outlook on life and uh, hopefully spur some changes. So uh, really excited for it because again, it, it hits the things that are just so deep uh, to my heart and that I'm not able to touch with, with really the, the physical companies that I have. 
Well, Chris, it's been a, it's been a real pleasure. I really enjoyed the conversation. I know Zach has too. And uh, I mean, you know, I, I would encourage people to look at that. I, I you know, just, I've, I've read kind of the summary of your story and it's very, very moving. And I think it'd be a wonderful thing. I plan on, I've got a copy of it. I just haven't had a time to read it yet. And so I will, next time I'm on a trip or I'm on a plane, that's my, that's my, my next book I'm going to read. So I'm looking forward to that, Chris. I'm looking forward to hear back from you on how. how absolutely. On. Uh, <laughs> you better got to go, Zach. So I'm going to drop out, guys. You can, if you guys want to close now. Okay. Oh, uh, thanks, Chris, for Thank coming you. on. Uh, it's been great. Our listeners are going to love this one. I'm, I'm going to pick up your book for sure, and I think a lot of our listeners will want to check that one out as well. But uh, thanks for taking the time and coming on the show. It's been, uh, been a lot of fun. You guys have had some really great, engaging questions. So, cool. Good love to it. hear. <laughs> Hey folks, Human Performance Outliers podcast is growing and due to the growth, we are looking to take on some new sponsors. So if you feel like your company or organization would be a good fit for our audience, please do not hesitate to reach out to hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with hosts Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. If you enjoyed the show, please consider following us on social media and checking out our websites. Links to those can be found in the show notes. Also, if you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to shoot us an email at hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning into the show.